This is Bart Peterson, and you are listening to the FCPA Compliance Report on the Compliance Podcast Network. This is Greg Gilchrist, and you are listening to the FCPA Compliance Report on the Compliance Podcast Network. This is Dan DeMarco, and you are listening to the FCPA Compliance Report on the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'd like to welcome you to the FCPA Compliance Report on the Compliance Podcast Network. In this episode, I visit with Sean Ramey. Sean is the general counsel of Navex Global, and we visit about Navex Global's acquisition of LockPath, a leading provider of integrated risk management solutions. Uh, Navex Global has announced their business purpose is to see customers' risk management and compliance programs uh, mature and succeed, and with this acquisition, they hope to be able to move that desire forward. It's a very interesting podcast in terms of not only Navix Global and what they're trying, uh, their business strategy, but also we take a deep dive into Sean Ramey's uh, M&A protocol. And from a compliance perspective, I think you'll find it very interesting on how he thinks through the mergers and acquisitions process as general counsel and also from the compliance perspective. The FCPA Compliance Report is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network and a proud member of C-Suite Radio. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back for another episode. And today I have with me Sean Ramey. Sean is the General Counsel at uh, Navex Global. And Navex Global recently announced an acquisition to acquire LockPath. And so I asked Sean if he could come onto the podcast and talk a little bit about the acquisition, what it means for Navex Global, and uh, where he may see things going forward. So, Sean, with that uh, introduction, first of all, welcome, and thank you for taking the time to visit with me today. Well, thank you so much for having me. I've watched and, and kind of followed you, and this is uh, definitely a great honor to be on the program. So, thank so you I so rarely much. have uh, someone who practiced law in Houston with uh, with me on the program, not with me, <laughs> but in the same town. Uh, so I really wanted to ask if you could talk about your professional background a little bit and how you got to Navex Global. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Very quickly, um, I had the privilege and pleasure of going to the University of Virginia School of Law. Um, I think that prepped me for my career. I uh, started my career actually in Houston with uh, one of the big four at the time. Uh, I've moved around since. Uh, I have the unique distinction of being um, a partner and or a lawyer at the world's largest law firm twice, and they were different law firms. Um, had gone in-house a couple of times, and about six years ago, the opportunity came up to come back to the Pacific Northwest, which I call home, uh, and actually wear a white hat and be in the ethics and compliance space. So it was um, a wonderful opportunity, and I've enjoyed it. Ever so, Sean, let's turn to the acquisition. Um, at least uh, the press release announcing it was dated August 6th. And in that press release, uh, CEO Bob Conlon uh, said this transaction is in direct response to our customers' desire for a more holistic approach to GRC program development. That includes both compliance and integrated risk management. I was wondering if you could provide your thoughts on how the acquisition of LockPath really uh, provides a more holistic approach to to GRC within the Navex global family of uh, offerings. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the what we saw, and you're seeing this a lot. There have been a, a couple of acquisitions announced recently that there's a bit of a consolidation here for Navex specifically, and as it related to LockPath. 
Um, you know, I think our customers are more confident expanding their use of technology. They already know and trust the provider. Uh, and so in our case, the more areas of risk identification and mitigation, we can help them cover the better. Uh, they can talk about a broader range of issues. We know we can address more or at least most of them holistically as opposed to going to multiple vendors uh, for the different identified areas of risk. So that was a, a natural for us. One of the things that intrigued me about this acquisition was perhaps not the substance of it, but the uh, type of services that LockPath uh, provides in the, in the greater context of GDPR, the CCPA, which will go online at the first of the year, and data uh, privacy, data protection, and cybersecurity. And that's cybersecurity and data breaches have become an incredibly important part of mergers and acquisition, pre-acquisition due diligence. And I was wondering if you could outline your approach or at least Navex Global's approach uh, to these issues. Yeah, well, yeah, as you know, I mean, anymore, when you're buying a company, that's, you're essentially buying data. Uh, and by, when you do that, especially if you're doing a, a, a stock purchase, uh, you're buying, you know, their previous data, their current data, and any potential data security problems they have in the future. So it's not enough anymore just to identify potential breaches or cybersecurity incidents, but you have to actually get down into the processes, the procedures, the code, if you're in the in, in our field, and the people, and understand not only has there been any, that's a much easier inquiry, but what is the possibility of them, uh, of those uh, occurring in the future? Uh, you know, I mean, because any cybersecurity vulnerabilities are going to weigh heavily on evaluation, uh, brand, reputation, etc. So that would not be a headache any company would want Sean, to Sean, in an article on uh, Law.com, you said, quote, Shane Harrison, our senior vice president of corporate development, has a very defined acquisition procedure, which details an acquisition from the pre-contact of a target through full integration. I was in, First of all, I was incredibly pleased to, to see uh, that process and procedure uh, be discussed by you. But I was wondering if I could have your thoughts perhaps on why it's important to have that procedure in place before you even begin the M&A process. Absolutely, Tom. The, I think speaking globally just for a second, um, you know, it's you have to have everybody knowing where they are in the process. And my rationale for that and our rationale for that is, one, so people aren't doubling up and you're wasting resources, but more importantly are, you know, I don't think you've got something covered or you think I've got something covered and there's a massive gap in, 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 in your process. Um, the, our process is, as I detailed out, that you put people with subject matter expertise, the SMEs, in charge of various aspects of an acquisition. First, they're tasked with creating the comprehensive due diligence list. What in their subject matter area that they know better than anybody is important to find out about. Then during the due diligence phase, they're going to monitor those responses to their topical areas. And they're going to stay aware of how answers to their inquiries can also impact others cross-functional. 
that they're going to know better than anybody how to follow up on responses, when to push into an area, when answers are sufficient, when they're lacking. Uh, they also, at that point, have to be responsible for putting together an integration plan to realize the full value of that acquisition. And then once that acquisition is complete and the integration work begins in honest, which is the real work, they're the ones that have deep knowledge in the workings of the target and are able to much quicker start executing on the plan. And the other important thing that I detailed in there, I believe, was they have ownership of that plan, both in their functional area, but for the entirety of the target. So you don't get the situation that I wasn't consulted, I wasn't in on it. If problems arise, they're not my deal. And that, that to me is death from an integration standpoint post-acquisition. Sean, the Department of Justice uh, about July of 2018 came out with a change to the FCPA corporate enforcement policy creating a safe harbor for M&A work. And in that process, they emphasize that your pre-acquisition due diligence and other work informs your post-acquisition integration. Uh, And this, of course, was from the FCPA perspective, but uh, it seems to me the process you described that Shane Harrison uses and and Navex uses really lends itself to that sort of unidimensional continuum where everything is moving towards identifying information and putting together literally a roadmap for integration after closing. Would that be a fair assessment? That's a a perfect summary of it, Tom. And yeah, you're right in that it used to be you had, uh, if you weren't diligent enough, you had a little bit of a pass. And you're right with the new guidance, that pass on not doing your pre-work is less and less and less. And so by doing that pre-work, if nothing else, if you end up, especially in the FCPA context, buying a problem, at least you've mapped out for justice that you tried your best to ferret that out pre-acquisition. It really sounded like in your description of the pre-acquisition steps, you've baked that compliance due diligence into your overall corporate financial and other due diligence of the target company. Very, very much so. Yes, absolutely. And that's not just because we're an ethics and compliance company, as you know. That's any company buying any business. So let me change um, the focus just a bit uh, with the following question. As the top lawyer for an ethics and compliance software and risk management company, you must be hyper aware of the myriad of threats companies are facing these days. And what I really wanted to ask you is what, in your experience, are some of the threats that are more or even most overlooked by businesses? First of all, I'd like to, you know, kind of a acknowledge that I think if we were having this conversation five years ago, the, um, I think this topic would have less weight. I, I don't think there were enough people focused on it. So thankfully, I think for good reasons, because of bad outcomes, at least companies are much more aware. So I think they're taking some of those threats off. But what I think we're left with now is, uh, again, to me, you know, ethics and compliance, regardless of your vertical, it's a it's a data business. And, you know, you have to understand, you know, what data do you have? Where do you get it? How do you distribute it internally and externally? How do you store it? When do you destroy it? And, and I think the thing that folks aren't looking at, and this is both from a people standpoint, a process standpoint, and a system standpoint, if you don't have a, a good idea of that flow of that map, 
I don't think you can assess your threat, internal or external. Uh, I will acknowledge they're different for different businesses, but finding all that out for your particular business, I think is critical or you're never going to know where in your specific situation, wherever you are in the life cycle of your business, what threats you are most facing. Sean, would the, the assessment of those threats uh, be done by uh, a, a chief risk officer, a compliance officer, a chief compliance officer, a general counsel, or, or perhaps a, a collection of those disparate disciplines? Ladder on that, Tom, that it, absolutely. I think you've got folks, uh, again, I think you need somebody in charge of it, and I think that's dependent upon your corporate structure. But I think all of those folks need to be involved as well does the business need to be involved because I think pick your business. You've got ops people that they're going to understand better than any of the others where potential threats might lie. And for them to be able to make the folks that are driving that process aware um, and make them aware of what they're doing to mitigate those, uh, I think are all similarly important. Well, Sean, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time, but I was wondering if listeners wanted more information on Navex Global's acquisition of LockPath or any of the other uh, concepts uh, we've talked about in this podcast. Uh, Where can they find out more information? If you happen to be one of the 14,000 Navex Global customers, go talk to your account manager. Uh, If you're not, uh, you can find a lot of this at navexglobal.com or at lockpath.com for information about both services. Well, John, this has just been a fascinating exploration of what I think is not only one of the most significant acquisitions in the compliance space, but frankly, for me, one of the most exciting. I can't wait to see what you guys uh, come up with uh, together going forward. Well, thank you again for having me. This was an absolute honor. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of the FCPA Compliance Report. We'll, of course, link to the references in the show notes. Also, Sean had a very interesting article in Corporate Compliance on this uh, merger and acquisition and his process around uh, M&A work generally, and we'll link to that in the show notes as well. If you have any questions, you can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. Thanks again for listening to this episode, and I hope you'll join us again next week for another episode. The FCPA Compliance Report is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.